0: Okay, so on your uh, worksheet, if you'll find a little bride, on your worksheet, a little picture of a bride, uh, where we're gonna pick up is where it says first mention, and we're talking about the word joy. So I'm kinda, of, kinda of going through a little Bible study, and we saw uh, you know, we looked at the word joy. We saw, we kind of looked at the Greek word of the word joy, and discovered that it's uh, translated as joy 51 times, and then other other ways it also is translated. But it, it all has that pretty much that same theme, theme as being joyful or joy or joyous. Now I want to talk about the first mention. That's one of the rules of Bible study is first mention. So uh, the very first time um, the uh, word uh, joy is found in your Bible is here in 1 Samuel 18.6. So why don't you go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel uh, chapter 18 verses 5 through 6. So you can see this for yourself. 1 Samuel 18, starting in verse 5. It says, And David went out whithersoever Paul sent him, and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And it came to pass as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Notice singular, Philistine, that the women came out of all cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet Saul, meet King Saul, with tabrets, with joy, with instruments of music. So the background of this passage is uh, the victory of David over Goliath, the Philistine. Uh, The threat of the Philistine army upon the children of Israel had been met. Um, of course, uh, by the king was a fairly new uh, Saul was a fairly new king at the time, and if you remember, they were kind of at an impasse uh, with the Philistines on one side and the children and the army of the children of Israel on the other side. And then when David took out their champion Goliath, that that's what uh, kind of inspired the children of Israel that, that army to take over the Philistines and it put fear in the Philistines' hearts. Well, that's what's going on here, and so. Um, as they were marching back victorious uh uh the, the victorious army of the children of israel coming back home uh the people were rejoicing there was much adulation there was a lot of rejoicing uh, because of this great victory over their enemies this threat had been dealt with and now in celebration uh, they were um you know they were rejoicing and they expressed their joy uh, by singing and by dancing and by playing of instruments and because as as the army marched by in victory so that that's the first mention of joy um, in that uh... that um, because of a, a, a great victory that had taken place in, in at that time okay i gotta find my next page uh... so uh... with this victory um, i got too many pieces of paper. They sang songs, right? Now this was a temporal victory. This was a temporal victory. This was a earthly victory. Uh, they would go on and and wage more wars they'd go on and fight more battles Uh, they'd win some and they'd lose some you know Uh, that's just the nature of of the earthly battlefield Uh, but uh, the first mention of joy was because of a a victory Um, we also can rejoice in a victory a victory that our Lord Jesus Christ had uh, fought and won. He fought in, uh, in a war, a, a battle, a spiritual battle, and he won that spiritual battle for us. Um, 2 Corinthians 10.3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And I don't know if I've got that passage on your worksheet. I probably don't. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6. Um, Now I quote that passage in relation to the victory that we have in Jesus Christ for this reason. Because um, uh, there is a warfare going on today. It is a battle of the mind. It is the battle of the heart of the people. And uh, that's what First John is talking about. He's talking about these individuals, these antichrists, these false prophets, these Gnostics, who are coming in seeking to seduce uh, the people of God, the children of God, away from the truth. Um, last Wednesday... I, I believe it was last Wednesday, uh, Pastor Brian went through an example of this Gnosticism that is going through the church. I can't remember what he called it, Ninogram or something like that, that is going through the church. And it's, it's kind of like a personality thing. And I'm not going to get into any detail about it, but I was glad that he did that. Because there's that kind of stuff that just permeates the church today. They're getting away from the word of God and they're introducing all of these other things into Christianity that have nothing to do with Christianity. And so I'm glad Brian did that. And what we need in this warfare is a sanctified mind we need a sanctified mind we need a spirit filled mind a mind filled with God's word if we hope to combat this Gnosticism that is rampant throughout the church today Colossians 3.16 says let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord if we neglect the word of God, if we neglect putting that word into our hearts and into our minds, then we will be uh, vulnerable to these things that sound spiritual, but are not necessarily biblical. Not necessarily biblical. And so um, there is a kind of um, intellectualism that is present in the church today, but it is an intellectualism that has, doesn't have, um, oh, there's no godliness about it. There's no holiness about it. There's no Christ-likeness about it. The, the Spirit of God is not in this intellectualism today. Uh, they have a knowledge, like First John talks about, they have a knowledge, but they are missing the Spirit. It's not according to the word. It's not according to the truth. Um, they'll teach these systems. They'll teach this doctrine. Uh, but without um, regard to the word of God. Without regard to the word of God. Paul warned us in 2 Timothy that that's, that's exactly what's going to come, come across. And unfortunately in this age, people are going to have itching ears. Oh, that sounds so neat. That sounds so tantalizing. And so they're drawn to that, and they're drawn away from the Word of God. So we have to be careful. We've got to be very, very careful. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I don't think this is in your worksheet either. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 2 through 6 says, He says, Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. And such trust have we through Christ to God word, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, and not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Now I quote that passage because... Um, well, one of the pastors yesterday, we had a discipleship uh, training meeting, and one of our pastors um, was speaking, and I, I, I loved what he had to say. Uh, he said that Jesus often taught his disciples while in the way. Do you remember that, for those that were there? He said that Jesus often taught his disciples while in the way, not just providing them with the head knowledge. This is my take from it, uh, and this certainly is needed, we need to know what God's word says. But not only did he teach them in the way, but he also showed them how to apply it. Showed them, And so he gave forth an example. He showed them how, how to apply it. He showed how he how to apply what he was teaching them. And often he would give an example of, of what he was teaching about. Often, he, like when he called a little child to himself... And he spoke about faith unless you have faith like a little child. That type of thing. And I thought that was, I thought that was very good. And this particular pastor spoke of knowing, growing, and and going. Knowing, growing, and going. And so often we know, and boy, we know a lot. Honestly, in this church, we know a lot. Uh, but we don't grow. We don't grow according to that knowledge. And if we don't grow, then we don't see the need to go. We don't see the need to go. Uh, we're content to soak it all up, you know, to get our heads crammed full of Bible knowledge. But what good does it do us? What good does it do us? So we need to grow up so we can go out. So I thought that was very, very good. In the Gnostics, that's what the Gnostic wants to do. He just wants to fill your head with knowledge. That's all he wants to do is fill your head with knowledge. He's not concerned about you growing. And he's not concerned about you going. You know, that's one of the sad things about a lot of churches today is that there is no missionary um, emphasis anymore. In a lot of these big, big churches, there's not a, there's not a, a missionary emphasis anymore. There's not an emphasis for the people to go. But they sure will pull the people in for them to know. For them to know. 1 John 4.4 4 says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That tells me that God has given us everything that we require to be a part of this victory. God has given us everything that we require to know, to grow, and to go. First uh, John 5, 4, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus Christ has won us a great victory. A great victory. A, a greater victory than any earthly king could ever win for us. 1 Corinthians 15:54 through 57 says, So when this corruptible shall I put on incorruption, and this mortal shall I put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's an amazing victory. That's a victory that no earthly king could possibly win for us. No earthly king could possibly win for this. The prophet Isaiah saw this victory in his day. In Isaiah 25, 8 through 9, he says, "...he will swallow up death in victory, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces." And the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth, for the Lord has spoken it. And it shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. So we have great victory in, in the salvation that the Lord Jesus Christ has won for us on the cross of Calvary. That's why I like we have a cross up here. But guess who's no longer hanging on that cross? Right? That's right? He's no longer there, folks. He's no longer there. He's won the victory. He's won the victory. So on your worksheet, number one, um, victory, the first time we read this joy... It means to carry off the victory. at your blank. It means to carry off the victory. Jesus has won the war. Even though the battle still continues. He is forever victorious. And this cannot be changed in spite of what the enemy attempts. He's forever victorious, folks. And the enemy loves to tell you differently. The enemy speaks, you know, he likes to whisper in your ear differently. But he's all, he's forever victorious. Now, I always hesitate when I go in this direction. And I don't mean to appear insensitive, or you know, sound high and mighty, or or even spiritually stern. And and some of us we we mean well, but sometimes we don't say well. But when we stand beside the grave of a loved one, um, on the surface, and having myself stood by many graves, on the surface it may not seem that such a victory has been won doesn't it? especially if it's someone you love especially someone close to you in fact it looks like a loss doesn't it? It looks like a loss and it is a loss it is a loss and what we sense is is that loss we sense that separation We, we feel the death's intrusion in our life because it is, it's intrusive. C.S. Lewis wrote about loss and, and he described it this way. He said, the death of a beloved is like an amputation. It's like an amputation. And I, I think that's pretty good because it is. You're, you're, you've lost somebody who was a big part of you. You've lost somebody who was a big part of you. Big part of your life, you know, every morning, every afternoon, I mean, just a big part of your, of your, of your life. And now that part of your life is missing. So on your worksheet, even though death has inflicted, is the word, inflicted this pain of loss upon us, death has no power over our hope. Our hope is certain, for that hope is in Christ. All right? It might inflict pain, loss, but it has no power over our hope. Because he's forever victorious. He's forever victorious. And those who have died in Christ, we'll see again. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-14 says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, That you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. That doesn't mean that it's okay, it's not okay to sorrow. You can go ahead and sorrow. That's Jesus wept. There's nothing wrong with that. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. There's going to be a great reunion one of these days. And we're going to be reunited with with our loved ones who have gone on before us in the clouds. Now, I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard a preacher one time say that, uh, he said, and he was one of those old timey southern preachers with the southern draw. And he said, you know, he says, God is so gracious. He says, when that rapture happens, he says, this, uh, Uh, Jesus loves us so much that uh, it's not so much Jesus we're going to see first, but it's going to be the loved ones that we miss that we're going to see first. And then together, we'll all see Jesus. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but I thought, well, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Jesus Christ, who is the captain of our salvation, he's gained the victory over death by his death, burial, and resurrection. And joy of joys, his victory is our victory as well. His victory is our victory as well. Those who have received him as Savior and have passed on before us, right now they're experiencing that victory. They're experiencing the joy of that victory. They're at rest, they're rejoicing in the Lord. And I don't know, I can't help but wonder if they're not looking forward to the reunion even more so than us. So what does this mean for us who await this glorious reunion? How does his victory translate to our big, being victorious? So this is in, on your next blank. As 1 Corinthians 15:58 points out, For those of us who remain in the light of this victory, we are to hold fast, is the word. Hold fast in one's faith as we await that great reunion. So you got several blanks here. Hold fast in the face of opposition. Hold fast in the face of opposition. Because you will be opposed. Hold fast in the face of persecution. Hold fast in the face of persecution. I told you that story of that video that Brian sent about the woman standing and she's a Christian surrounded by Hindus and they're beating her with canes and she's standing standing strong. Even though they're hitting her, she's standing strong. Not bending the knee as they call out to her to to deny Christ. Hold fast in the face of adversity. Is your next blank. Opposition, persecution, adversity. Adversity. I believe we're going to experience more and more adversity. If you're paying attention to what's going on, hold fast in the face of temptation and trial. Temptation and trial. Remember, the seducers are wanting to lead you away. Hold fast against the lies of the enemy. lies of the enemy and hold fast even in the face of death turn to Nehemiah chapter 8 this brought to mind what Nehemiah had said to the people who were facing severe opposition and persecution and adversity Uh, they were rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem setting up the gates and of course the folks that um, were around there they didn't they didn't like that so they were causing all sorts of problems for the uh, children of Israel who were trying to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And many of the folks that had returned with Ezra and with Nehemiah, what was the what was the guy's name? Jerub Jerobo- uh, Jerobo- Jerobo- yeah, Jerubabel. They all came back from uh, Babylon. Nehemiah chapter eight verse five and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people for he was above for he was above all the people and when he opened it all the people stood up and Ezra blessed the Lord the great God and all the people answered Amen Amen with lifting up their hands and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground also Jeshua and Bani and Sherebiah Jamin Achub, Shabbate. Hoja, Maasea, Kelita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peleah, and the Levites caused the people to understand the law and the people stood in their place. So they read in the book and the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. I always wondered about that, how, why they gave them the sense. Well, if you remember, a lot of those people were in captivity for 70 years in Babylon. And so during that 70 years, there were a lot of people who were born in Babylon. And so very, very possibly, you know how it is when you're born in another country, you're going to learn the language of that country. So it could be that some of these folks that came back, they knew the Chaldean language but maybe they didn't know their own mother tongue very well. So it could be that these men were translating for these folks to understand what's being read. But what are, but just think of this time though. What an emotional time this must have been for these people. Out of captivity, back to Jerusalem... Involved in an important work, you're actually seeing the fruit of your labor as it rises up before you. Possibly the very first time you actually hear the scriptures read. What an emotional time. What a highlight this must have been. These men and these women have toiled with trowel in one hand and sword in the other. And now they're gathered together hearing the word of God. Verse 9 of Nehemiah 8. And Nehemiah, which is the Tershatha, which means governor, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, scribe, and the Levites that taught the people said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry for what? The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Don't miss that, folks. Don't miss that. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You rejoice in the victory that Jesus has won for us. You rejoice in the salvation that he has given us. You rejoice in the spirit of God who has taken up residence in your hearts. You rejoice on your worksheet. For now we also labor with the trowel in one hand and the sword in the other prowl and sword Philippians 2.14 says do all things without murmurings and disputings that ye may be blameless and harmless the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain neither labored in vain let's be that kind of church Let's be that kind of church. Let's be the kind of church that finds its strength in the joy of its salvation. That finds its strength in the joy that we have the word of God in our hands. To find that strength in knowing that we have the joy that we can serve the Lord in in spirit and in truth. Let us be that kind of church. Let us be that kind of church. And then C, I think it's C on your worksheet. Expressions. Expressions of joy. Expressions of joy. In the Old Testament, your blank is singing. And the playing of music, as well as by dancing, would be employed as expressions of celebration of joy for victory over their enemies. Now, we're good Baptists. We'll do the singing, and we'll play the instruments, but we won't do the dancing. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Besides that, you don't want to see me dancing. It's not pretty. Along with these uh, physical expressions of joy, the people also would express their joy through giving, on your blank, special offerings made by the children of Israel. So, singing, playing of instruments, dancing, and special offerings. First, uh, Chronicles 29.9, Then the people rejoiced, for that they offered willingly, because with perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord, and David the king also rejoiced with great joy. First Chronicles 29.17, I know also, my God, that thou triest the heart and has pleasure in uprightness as for me in the uprightness of my heart I have willingly offered all these things and now have I seen with joy thy people which are present here to offer willingly unto thee that's another way to express joy is to make a, a free will offering out of appreciation and there has been some folks in our church that has done just that now, I don't know who they are, but I've been privy to it because of the meetings that I attend. That there are folks that give nice gifts to our church out of appreciation, out of joy. And this is reflected in a church when, the, when a church is being blessed by the Word of God. When a church is being blessed by the Word of God, then that, then that church in, ter- in, in turn will express their joy. Through a willingly offering. And it doesn't necessarily just have to be a monetary offering as well. We offer our service as well. We offer our service as well. 2 Corinthians nine seven says, Every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth that you'll forgive her. You know, if you want to please God... Be a cheerful giver. Not a reluctant giver. Be a cheerful giver. On your worksheet, the blank, in the church, we also make an offering of this nature when we praise and sing unto the Lord and do good unto others Hebrews thirteen fifteen. by him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name but to do good and to communicate forget not for with such sacrifices God is well pleased another way that we can express our joy is by doing good for others simply by doing good for others you know uh, late, uh, recently we had uh, someone that needed to move out of an apartment into another apartment and we had members of, uh, of our church go and help her move and one particular member stayed quite a while to help her well, that's good, that's, that's exactly what we should be doing that's the type of thing we should be doing that, that's a good way to, uh, to express one's joy now, um, I'm just going to give you my opinion. Okay? This is not doctrine. <laughs> this is my opinion. It's like what Paul says, I speak as a man. Alright? Um, I think that we Bible believers, we Baptists, have allowed the Pentecostals to ruin us in this manner of expressing joy in our praise and in our song. There's often a reluctance to um, show joy in a in a physical display. Okay, in a physical display, um, sometimes we might feel foolish doing so, or sometimes we're not sure what other people are going to think. Now, understand, I'm not talking about being. St- I almost used the word. We don't need we don't need to be foolish. In other words, I don't want anybody running down here and getting on their hands and knees and start barking like a dog. Okay, let's not do that. But if you want to raise your hands, raise your hands. Raise your hands. If you want to do what the song says and spin around, spin around. You know, as long as you're not doing it to attract attention to yourself and say, look at me, look at how spiritual I am. If it's a true expression of joy from the heart, God sees that. God sees that. Don't Don't be like me and be a stuffed shirt. I might raise my fingers. <laughs> but don't you know if if you want to raise your hands, raise your hands. You know, some some churches are so stiff about it that if somebody were to do that, they'd think you were a weirdo. And then, of course, some people are so crazy about it that it's just a disruption. It's just an absolute disruption. One church that some of our friends that had attended, uh, they had turned worship service into such a wide-open thing uh, that they even served popcorn as you came into the foyer. Yeah, what does that tell you? They turned it into a show. A spectacle. That's not, that's not praising the Lord from the heart. Well, they bon Did they play Bon Jovi? I forgot about that. I forgot about that so you know if 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 you want to raise your hands during worship service or do like me, just raise one hand <laughs> do it if you know do it don 't be afraid of doing that now i 'll probably get called into the office and but yeah, if that 's an expression of if you want to express your joy that way, do it do it, and if you 're not comfortable with raising your hands, then don 't do it don 't do it. My sister, her husband, the, my sister, that the husband just passed away recently. In the one of her neighbors that came over and helped when he was um, dying, um, is Pentecostal, and she invited my sister to a Bible study that they have there in their old community. Yeah. They were singing and and there's some other, my sister goes to the Baptist church, and there's some other Baptists there. And some of them are raising their, yeah. kids, and, the, and the lady that invited her, said, like, oh, it's so great to see the Baptists, you know. Yes, church. yes. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, I think we get a bum rap sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> But again if it's a, if it's a, if it's a genuine sincere expression you're not trying to attack attract attention to you you know hey look at me look at me how spiritual I am you know I have no problem with that personally I'm not comfortable so much with raising my hands you know but I will tap my toes uh again you don't want to attract attention to yourself <laughs> I know I know does she bring her own. Did she bring her own? Huh? Yeah. Yeah, it was a different church. Again, that's just you know, neither here, it's neither here nor there. What I'm the main point that I'm talking, talking about is the sincerity of the heart. That's really the main issue, is the sincerity of the heart. I once sat under a pastor that taught that it is generally the extremes in Christianity that leads to excess and error, and uh, he taught that uh, that we should maintain a balance in things pertaining uh, to the things of God. And I, I always thought that was that was great advice. Everything was Pastor Brian said. Everything done decently and in order, right? Everything done decently or is it? excess and error. Excess and error. I, mean, I always thought that was good advice. Uh, so um, again, you know, from the sincerity of heart. Don't have to get wacky about it. I had a, we had a preacher one time preaching and he said he went to a church. And that got pretty uh, rambunctious in its praise, so much so that certain members would get up and actually run circles around the sanctuary, <laughs> hooting and hollering. Okay. Those pew walkers, walkers, haven't you? Huh? Have you heard of pew walkers? Pew walkers, yeah, oh yeah. There's, there's a lot of. Well, anyway, so decently in order. Now I want to talk about uh, so. Uh, Express it. Don't be afraid to express your joy from a sincere heart. And I also want to talk about detractors. I don't know if that should be detractors of joy or detractors from joy. Um, I'm not very good on my grammar. But there are certain things that will prove to be detractors. other words, they'll diminish joy. Uh, They'll take away from joy. Uh, it's A detractor is something that diminishes the value of, or the quality, or the meaning of something. Alright? The first one is a mingled offering. A mingled offering. You know, we spoke about one uh, of the means to express joy is through a special offering. Well, along with this, uh, there are certain warnings to be heeded. Uh, one of the spiritual matters, uh, matters that will prove to be a detractor of our joy is this mingled offering. And what do I mean by this? Well, in some things, uh, to mingle one thing with another is a good thing. Like if you're putting together a soup. You, know, you want to mingle vegetables and stuff. That it makes a good soup. All right? But uh, you got to be careful. Um... In spiritual matters, you gotta be careful. So if you're putting together a what you got stew, you gotta be careful what you're putting in that stew. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. These folks were putting together a what you got stew. 2 Kings chapter 4. I'm really hoping I get through this. Verse 39. And one went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered thereof wild gourds his lap full and came and shred them into the pot of pottage for they knew them not. So he didn't know what was th- what he was throwing in that pot. So they poured out for the men to eat and it came to pass as they were eating of the pottage that they cried out and said, O thou man of God, there is death in the pots." And they could not eat thereof. But he said, and this is Elijah, then he said, then bring meal. And he cast it into the pot, and he said, pour out for the people that they may eat, and there was no harm in the pot. Now something was introduced into the pot that poisoned the food. It made it unpalatable to the taste. And it was only after the man of God threw some meal, a type of the word of God, threw some meal into the mix that the stew was then made safe to eat now I use this passage to illustrate those who present a mingled offering, those who put darkness for light and light for darkness Isaiah Isaiah 5 20 through 23 says woe unto them that call evil good and good evil that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink, would justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from them. And as we look through John's epistle, we're going to see these folks. We're going to see these folks who are mingling darkness with light. And those who are trying to seduce God's people away from their fellowship with God. Uh, from the joy of experiencing their fellowship with God. In fact, John addresses this mingling in First uh, John 1, 6-10. And we're going to look at that. You know, uh, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Alright, so uh, so we'll talk about that. Uh, Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies in living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So on your worksheet, our joy and fellowship of the Father will be diminished when our offering, and what is our offering? It is ourselves. Right? When our offering is mingled more with the world than with His Word. Mingled more with the world than with His Word. You know, our offering may be, con- con- may be contaminated by worldly, fleshly pride. Years and years and years ago, um, we knew of a very talented gal who was a singer. Very talented. But her, her whole motive for singing before the church was not to glorify God or edify the body. It was to receive praise from men that's a mingled offering that's a mingled offering she wanted the applause she wanted the applause Oftentimes, um, we make offerings carrying grudges harboring offenses um, we permit our flesh to carry the day in our lives these are mingled offerings. Mingled offerings. When we permit our flesh to run the show, rather than being submissive to the Spirit of God and the Word of God, uh, this can be a mingled offering. And this will rob us of the joy of our fellowship with the Father. So where the earthly and sensual call the shots, then that's when our joy can become um, hindered hindered come on guys let's let's just be right right honest here when you are out of sorts when you're walking in the flesh is there any joy there i'm miserable to tell you the truth i am a miserable Galatians 5:14 for all the laws fulfilled in one word even this thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself when i'm not loving my neighbor i'm I'm more grumpy than I am joyful, right? But if ye bide and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one another. If I'm bickering and fighting, he says, this I say, then walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. What is the second manifestation of the fruit of the spirit in a person's life? Joy. So if you're not walking in the spirit, you're not going to experience joy. You know, we see three things in this passage that will ruin our joy. Hating one's brother, you know, obey, not obeying his word, and living an unrighteous life. You know, just living an unrighteous This is the trifecta that will ruin your fellowship with God. Hating your brother, not obeying his word, and living an unrighteous life. That is a formula for disaster. When the fleshly attitudes are thrown in, then the pot is poisoned. (laughs) That's all there is to it. Uh, I'm being plain spoken because I have to plain speak to myself. That's terrible, I know, but I guess you understand what I'm trying to say. Okay, you've got to hating your brother, not obeying his word, and an unrighteous living. Unrighteous living. Again, Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness. What comes after love? Joy. And then follows all the other virtues. One of the key words of John's first epistle is what word? Love. 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 I can't remember, it's over... Uh, i got to be careful. I think it's like over 20 times the word love is mentioned. So if somebody mentions the word love over 20 times, I think he's trying to get home a point, don't you think? Yeah. Oh, I've got it written right down here. 33 times the word love is, is found in the epistle. I knew it was over 20. God's love for us, our love for God and His children... That's all essential in our fellowship with God and with others. With God and with others. And if we don't love, we're not going to experience joy. That's just all there is to it. If we don't love, we're not going to experience joy. Uh, The second one on your worksheet is error. E-R-O-R. Error. That's where that uh, funky-looking piece of bread is. Moldy bread. When error, false doctrine is the blank, is introduced into the mix, this will also prove to be a detractor of joy. When error and false doctrine is introduced into the mix this will also prove to be a detractor of joy James 3.15-16 through this wisdom descendeth not from above but is earthly, sensual, devilish for where envying and strife is there is confusion in every evil work Proverbs 20.17 says bread of deceit is sweet to a man but afterwards his mouth shall be filled with gravel that's why I've got that moldy bread there (laughs) bread of deceit moldy bread So on your worksheet, the many antichrists and the false prophets and teachers who promise joy cannot deliver on their empty promises. Because they themselves do not know the true source of joy. These false teachers subsist on the bread of deceit rather than the bread of life. Oh, they can make grand promises. And yeah, they can give you joy according to your flesh. They can get you whipped up in a fleshly joy. But the true joy, they know nothing about. And as we progress through this first epistle of John, we'll begin to see how these false teachers and all this bad doctrine, all these antichrists, if if the believer is not careful, then these men will rob you of your joy. Steal that joy away from you. And many of the issues that John addresses is this false teaching, the influence of the Antichrist in in the church. Um, Number three. I don't know why I went from A, B to three. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. That's where the picture with the two-faced person is. Those who will not experience the true joy of being in fellowship with God are uh, the hypocrites, hypocrisy, the frauds, the false professors and teachers, the phonies that operate from the spirit of error more than the spirit of truth. Hypocrisy. Job 20 verse 5 says that the triumph of the wicked is short and the joy of the hypocrite but for a moment. Yeah, a hypocrite will experience joy, but it's fleeting. Fleeting. You know, a a hypocrite can only play the game so long. In the end, they're exposed. In the end, they're exposed. And unless there's a change of heart, honestly, this, this way of living is going to bring nothing but unhappiness and disappointment. Living a hypocritical life. What is it that Jesus said that God is looking for men who would worship God in spirit and in truth? Yeah, truth. Job 13.15 says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. He also shall be my salvation, for a hypocrite shall not come before him. So on your worksheet, tragically, what is true of the lost? Is your blank that live in hypocrisy can also be experienced by the redeemed that live in hypocrisy? Is it possible for a man who is born again live like a hypocrite? Yeah, it is. It is. Been there, done that. Bought the t-shirt. Isn't that the saying? Yeah. Yeah. To live a life of hypocrisy, that's a, that's a mingled offering. Knowing the truth and yet maintaining a life that is contrary to that truth, there's no joy in that. There's no joy in that. Well, I tell you what, when, when, you know, when I, when I know I'm walking contrary to God's Word, there's no joy in that. I'm absolutely miserable. But boy, I'll just be as stubborn as a mule and I'll Plant my feet and, you know, a lot of God's people kind of live like Adam. Instead of walking in the garden with the Lord, they hide from God. And they try to cover their nakedness with these fig leaves of self-justification or whatever it is they do. Well, I'm not like so-and-so. They're you know, worse than I am. Maybe. But you're still held accountable. The Father is calling for us to step out of hiding and come join Him in the light. He says, put away that fig leaf. Let me clothe you in the robe of righteousness in Jesus Christ. Get out of that stuff. If you want to know joy, be sincere, be real. We know that the Word of God strongly condemns hypocrisy in the believer, as well as the unbeliever. On your worksheet, oh wait a minute. Isaiah nine seventeen. Therefore, the Lord shall have no joy in their young men; neither shall have mercy on their fatherless and widows, for everyone is a hip. Is an, as a hypocrite and an evil doer and every mouth speaketh folly, for all of this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. On your worksheet, hypocrisy among believers is a sure way to bring contention, contention within the body of Christ. An hypocrite with his mouth destroyeth his neighbor, but through knowledge shall the just be delivered. So you don't want to be a player. <laughs> you want to be genuine, you want to be real you want to be real the holy heart, the sanctified heart is a spirit filled heart where the spirit is there will be joy there will be joy Okay, real quickly no, I don't know no, 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 no no. so real quickly, let's go through this I'm just going to throw out the blanks is it God's desire that we experience this joy? Jesus has blank spoken to us about it. Spoken is the word. John 59, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, that your joy might be full. Yes, he's spoken to us about this joy. So on your worksheet, He is the source of our joy, being the true vine. And when we abide in His love by obedience to His commandments, we will bear the fruit of this joy and fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Okay? B, Jesus has prayed about it for us. John 17:9 I pray for them I pray not for the world but for them which are which thou hast given me for they are thine and all mine are thine and thine are mine and I am glorified in them and now I am no more in the world but these are in the world and I come, and I come to thee holy father keep thou thine own name keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. And none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So he prayed about our joy. He prayed about our joy. His joy was the subject of his prayer in John chapter 17. So on your worksheet, if Jesus made our joy the subject of his prayer, right? Then we can be certain that he wants us to experience his joy through fellowship with the Father fulfilled in our lives. Now let me ask you a, a question here. Has God never answered any of the prayers of Jesus? Name me one prayer that God has not answered that Jesus prayed. Anybody, come on, take this cup for me. When you... <laughs> That's a good one. I didn't think of that one. But then again, he surrendered himself, didn't he? Yeah. There's not a prayer that Jesus prayed that God did not answer. Not a prayer, except for that one, maybe. So if, if Jesus prayed for our joy, then guess what, folks? Whose fault is it? <laughs> it might be mine that I don't experience joy. And I just listed some reasons why. That's kind of convoluted, but hopefully you got my point. Um, number uh, uh, C. I think it's C. It is commanded in His Word. Ooh, joy, a command? First Thessalonians 5.16 Rejoice evermore. Philippians 4, four Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. So, the answer to the question, does God desire that we experience joy, is a resounding no. No, it's yes. It's yes. Hope nobody wrote no. Don't write no in there. Write yes. And that's what John is writing about here. He's wanting us to experience the joy that we can have in fellowship with the Father and with His Son. So on these last few, last few blanks, there exists two primary threats to this joy and it being experienced fully. There is the threat that resides within and the threats that reside without. And it is to these threats that John will now begin to address as we begin to look into the epistle. So on a summary, uh, so this will be your final blanks and then we'll be done. The Christian's joy is a gift from God to his children. It is part and parcel of our so great salvation. This joy is produced in us by the Holy Spirit, whom also is a gift of our great salvation. So here's your blanks. He enables us to receive truth and empowers us to obey the Word, enables, empowers, and assists us to abide in His love enables, empowers, assists and though this joy is often mixed with trials and tests it is always with the assurances of a hope of future glory so enables, empowers, assists and assurances okay okay so let's go ahead and close out in prayer Mitchell would you mind closing out in prayer for us Dear God we thank you for the joy that you give us, that you offer us, to help us to accept it, have it.